Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's April uh, the 6th. 2022 a thursday not 2022 2023 i can't get my numbers right this morning um but it doesn't matter whether it's 2022 or 2023 or 2024 technology continues to drive the news elon musk today unveiled uh, a 10 trillion dollar master plan in his language to eliminate fossil fuels seems kind of ridiculous but if anyone can do it it's probably him um Meanwhile, uh, he's back in trouble. He bought Twitter. He seems to be running that one into the ground. He described the NPR account as a state-affiliated media and doubled down on it, not winning a lot of friends on that front. Doesn't have a lot of friends, Elon, in Europe either. The EU to Elon Musk on his Twitter verification plan. We're not playing. We're not paying. Uh, and there's, there isn't a day really where Musk isn't in the news. Uh, meanwhile, AI remains in the news. Reid Hoffman, another of Silicon Valley's big hitters, founder of LinkedIn, a uh, man now on the Microsoft board, uh, attacked Elon Musk's call for a pause in chat AI and chat GPT technology. That's very controversial. Another of the heavy hitters in Silicon Valley or ex-Silicon Valley is Peter Thiel. Um, he's in the news today because uh, his uh, the death of his supposed kept romantic partner is now being investigated as a suicide. These characters like Musk and Thiel and Hoffman, they're all celebrities. They're the new Hollywood. Um, and of course, they are bound up in one kind of scandal or another. Uh, Thiel was involved in uh, bringing down Silicon Valley Bank, uh, even though he swears that he kept 50 million of his own personal fortune in the bank. I don't think $50 million to Peter Thiel is the same as it is to you and I. So what unites these guys, Thiel and Musk and Hoffman? As it happens, they're not just wealthy, uh, multi-billionaire uh, tech entrepreneurs. They're also part of what's known as the PayPal Mafia uh, back in the late 90s. They all worked at PayPal. Remarkable cast of characters. It wasn't just Hoffman and, and Musk and Teal. Many of the founders of YouTube and um, Yelp and Palantir were all there. Um, remarkable group of people. And uh, my guest today, Jimmy Sony, has written about them in a book that came out last year called The Founders, The Story of PayPal and the Entrepreneurs Who Shaped Silicon Valley. Jimmy is joining us from Brooklyn, which is um, the, eastern, uh, the eastern office of Silicon Valley. Uh, uh, Jimmy, welcome. Uh, we were chatting before about... I think, by the way, I think Bangalore or, or maybe Nigeria is the eastern office of Silicon Valley these days. Just Yeah, to... well, maybe Bangalore and, uh, is the eastern office of Brooklyn. Um <laughs> We were talking before we went live, Jimmy, about this book, and we were both amazed that the story hadn't really been told until you told it. Uh, why and how did you write this book? Your background is as a tech entrepreneur, but you've also written some interesting books about Rome and information technology. Why did you decide to write this book? 
You know, it's actually, it's funny. I, I assumed like you that the book had already been written. I mean, I, I went on Amazon like to do the best market research you can do and just try, like, typed in PayPal just to see what was available. The, the impetus was that I had spent a lot of time studying the life of Claude Shannon, the founder of information theory and sort of one of the 20th century's great minds. And with and you wrote about it in a, yeah. a mind at play, and and we're going to have you back on the show actually to talk just Shannon because right. in many ways he's more interesting than Musk and 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 um, and Teal and, and and Hoffman put together. But anyway, well, your your words not mine, but uh, you know you won't you won't get much uh, pushback from me there. Um, Shannon worked at Bell Labs. Bell Labs was this incredible constellation of talent you know, one of, one of America's truly great kind of clusters in this, in this way. And there were very few of these, Xerox Park, Fairchild Semiconductor, and you sort of fast forward in the tape and you get to PayPal. And I was just, I, candidly, I was just thinking about clusters. I was just sort of like using them as a, like trying to make the story of, of Shannon's time come to life and then uh, sort of come to life on the page. But then I was just thinking like, what are the other places where you don't have the sort of solitary hero myth of Silicon Valley success or technological success or business success? Where is there a grouping? I, PayPal is a, a, quite a grouping of these individuals. And I just was astonished that no one had done the book. And I think, you know, look, I feel like I, you've interviewed so many authors. I mean, authors should be honest with you. The, the honest truth is I you kind of- You have to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I went don't even person- need to- I went. From I, you know, we, we always joke. To be honest with you, which means right. uh, when people say that, I always say, "Well, you mean everything you've said before was a lie?" Yeah, I, I will say the the truth is, I just kept sort of knocking on doors and sending emails and assuming that someone at some point would say no, um, meaning that, that there was some reason that the PayPal story shouldn't be written, that there was something there that would have sort of had somebody be like, "Well, you can't do this," or else you know you'll sort of get the midnight knock on the door. It never happened, and it, and it turned out that. I think part of the reason that the book wasn't written is because the alumni, and then by the way, there are sort of 200-ish alumni from Palo Alto, 600 from Omaha, Nebraska, and many others around the world, scattered around the world. They just went on to do so many interesting things. And if you get, you know, FaceTime with them, if you're going to pick a topic to write on, you probably are going to talk about this payment service that they worked on during the days yeah, of the, the company Internet. itself, uh, my wife used to run uh litigation at paypal so i'm all too familiar with contemporary paypal it's not a particularly interesting company it's a very uh, compared to crypto compared to many of the the financial platforms it's it's just another company these days but back in the 90s it was uh, as you've suggested in your book um an unusual convergence of young talent i always remember the story that peter Thiel banned talk of sports at the office. Was that actually true? I, it's, it's as with all these sort of myths, it's, there's far more, it's far more complicated. I never found any evidence that there was a ban on sports. In fact, I found the opposite. So when I went through, I went through all these, um, during my reporting, I came across uh, someone, one of the sources shared five gigabytes of email from that era, 1998 to 2002 or thereabouts. I don't know why anybody would keep this, but hey, it was, it was you know, mother's milk to me. There was plenty of sports and sporting activity that were part of the weekly company newsletters. And I think that, you know, some of these things, it's sort of like the retelling of the story when you catch the fish, like they get exaggerated in, in, you yeah, know, the retelling. part of the mythology, but, but, it's, but it's, a, it's a fun mythology. 
I mean, the two dominant characters and, and, and PayPal was this convergence of these two companies were Peter Thiel or seems to me to be Peter Thiel and Elon Musk. Is that fair? I mean, there were others, Hoffman, for example, um, Max Levchin, who we can talk about. But would it be fair to say, uh, Jimmy, that, that Thiel and Musk left their imprint above all else on, on PayPal? And that's why it's such a remarkable company. I I have to, you know, it's one of these, uh, you're, you're sort of seeing me strain because I, I think if you make me pick two, it's Max Levchin and Elon on either side because PayPal is really the combination of two companies. Right. And if, if, but, but it is, I will just freely admit, it's very hard to isolate just two characters. I think so the you're, temptation- So you're making, uh, uh, because Levchin and, and Teal were, they weren't emotional partners, but they were, business partners and, they were and I remember Levchin pitched Teal on the idea of a financial platform so so what is it about Levchin that makes him if anything more important in terms of the foundations of PayPal than uh, the Musk uh, sorry He's, than Teal he he is the he begins the company which is at one point called Fieldlink then called Confinity then creates a product called PayPal so it's it's properly understood as his idea he recruits engineers he is intimately involved from the sort of earliest days in 98 through to the IPO and the sale to eBay. The story of PayPal, I think, is properly understood as Max's story, not, not even as Peter's or Elon's. I mean, they're, they're there, they're co-founders, but if you had to pick only one, you would pick Max. So what's interesting about Max, he's a, like Sergey Brin, he's a Russian immigrant. I think he's Jewish, uh, technologically incredibly sophisticated, but uh, I don't know that much about him. Is there is there stuff about him that's interesting? Oh, Apart I think from that, his I, technological right. skills. I mean, I think the real question is, what about him is not interesting? This is somebody with a, a photographic memory. You know, he is. Um, he's seen. He, it just what you know. There are a bunch of random facts I could throw out, but I think more broadly, his is the quintessential classic story of somebody who immigrates to the United States and goes very far in a very short period of time. And, you know, he just has all of these. And maybe I say this because they're revealing my biases as an immigrant. It's like he has all of those sort of wonderfully uh, eccentric, you know, specific stories that happen to people when they come to America from distant shores. He also is still today one of the most respected leaders in technology, uh, you know, and he's not he's, yeah, not, but he's aching. not that interesting. I mean, I met him a couple of times. I can't remember anything about him. I met Teal a couple of times and I remember everything about him. I mean, he. He may not be the most likable of people, but he was, he is, he was and remains a remarkable individual for better or worse. The classic Bond villain. Was he always a Bond villain back in the 90s? Did the, did the people uh, who worked for him hate him like most of us hate him these days? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think that's the short answer to your question. No. And I think I heard a very different view of him from the people who worked with him back in the 90s. He was also hated, of course, at least by progressives at Stanford Law School. Uh, Teal is notoriously a man of the right, a conservative, a backer originally of Donald Trump. I'm not sure how he feels about him now. Um, T uh, Musk is a hardcore libertarian, although not explicitly political. Were politics important back then? Uh, neither Teal nor Musk's politics sort of fitted into, I guess, the left progressive culture of Silicon Valley, which is perhaps best represented by Reid Hoffman, who remains a, a very powerful and generous donor to progressive causes. 
I think politics had to take a backseat to the survival of the company because it was created and, and came into its own during the bursting of the dot-com bubble. So you could, you, you know, there are sort of all these picky even things that you had to simply put to the wayside to make sure that you could survive to the next month. I, I found that the place was actually politically fairly heterogeneous. There were people who, of all stripes, but the, the key goal was get the company to survive because every day felt like that was going to be the day of the company. Yeah, but I, I had my own startup back in the 90s, Audio Cafe, which didn't survive. There were lots and lots of companies that were on the brink. Some survived, some didn't. What was interesting about PayPal? What made it different from, from all the other companies in the late 90s during the dot-com boom? It grew very, very quickly on eBay, so it had an audience. They fought fraud exceptionally fast in, in some really innovative ways, so they were able to bring the cost of the company down. And they were able to, you know, again, this is some of this is, is sort of divine intervention, luck, whatever you want to call it. The company was timed so that when the dot-com bubble burst ended, PayPal was there, went public, and was sold. Um, I, I'm skipping over the sort of insane amounts of hard work that it took to defeat fraud to actually right-size the company to make sure they weren't just bleeding. But those are a few of the, the highlights. Well, there were lots of other... I mean, Google sort of survived and then became dominant. Amazon, Amazon's stock price almost reached zero at one point during the dot-com bust. What was it about PayPal that generated such remarkable innovation what, what, what was it about this this mafia was the the mafia the cause of more mafia more talented innovative aggressive entrepreneurs or was there something about paypal that generated this group of of, of people that went on to in in some ways as you suggested in the book uh, shape contemporary silicon valley i think it's both i think there was a quality about the place that attracted a certain kind of person and the experience of building, as you know, the experience of building a dot-com during that period left a certain kind of imprint. The two of those, you can't sort of separate one from the other, right? And so you have people who maybe come in excited for those kinds of challenges. They face and learn from those kinds of challenges. And out from that alumni group comes YouTube and Yelp and LinkedIn and all these other things. So I yeah, think we don't even little... associate. Uh, uh, remind us of the of of, of YouTube's mm -hmm. uh, origins in, in PayPal. Most people don't associate YouTube with PayPal. The three co-founders of YouTube were that this was this was where they cut their technological teeth. This is where they got started. Not just that, many of the hurdles that YouTube faced for user with user adoption were were almost like carbon copies of the things that PayPal faced when it got started. So it's a very direct line between PayPal and YouTube, among other companies. Tell us a little bit more about um, Hoffman. I, I, of all of them, I probably know Hoffman better than than certainly than the others. I spent a bit of time with him. He's an unusual man, uh, perhaps in some ways more influential than than anyone in terms of initially funding. Uh, uh, Facebook uh, and now becoming a very powerful man on the progressive left in American politics and culture. What do you make of, of Hoffman and his involvement? You know, you, you have this quality of, of, of you, you read everything that happened after 2003. I had the luxury of not reading anything that happened after 2003. So you know a lot more than I do about the contemporary lives. Here's what I can say. At the time, there was basically no better diplomat, no better firefighter than Reid Hoffman. They would send him into rooms to deal with everything that you deal with if you're like a brand newfangled, you know, payment services institution. So if you're, if you're dealing, there was this great line from Luke Nosek. He said, you know, 
we often sent Reed Hoffman, is I'm paraphrasing, music, you often sent Reed Hoffman in to deal with the government because he was among he was among the only one of us who believed in the government. So you, you send in that person, right? Um, I think it was a little tongue in cheek, but it wasn't too far from the truth. Reed had the, he, Reed had the ability to, you know, he grew up playing strategy board games. He was a phenomenal strategic mind. And he was somebody that from Teal's perspective, the company needed because he could interface with sort of the rest of humanity and and deal with these very sensitive and complex issues that PayPal faced during these years. How important was Stanford? Uh, Hoffman, of course, was an undergrad at Stanford with Teal. Uh, my wife was actually with them. Teal wasn't massively popular, again, amongst progressives. Uh, who was the third? I forgot, even forgotten the name. The, 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 the other guy, uh, the other guy at uh, Stanford Law School um, with Teal. Well, there, there uh, are, there are a the, lot. The I mean, uh, there are a lot. I would, you know, you could, one version of the PayPal story is it's the union of University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana and Stanford. And so it's hard to actually say like a single, like you're talking about, you know, a decent chunk of the alumni were from those two places. Was there though, uh, again, a, a Stanford culture? Uh, I don't even know what a Stanford culture means. That was what I was going to ask you. Or maybe an absence of culture. No, I think you look. Look, here's let me let me let me frame it. Maybe one interpretation of it, based on my interviews and, and other things. You know, merit mattered, achievement mattered. There were interviews where occasionally somebody's SAT score would you know they'd ask what the SAT score was. You you had a quality in this group of of not just being good but demonstrating excellence. If that makes sense, right? That that was something that was prized, and it was a competitive place. And look, you have to be smart, work hard in order to get into Stanford University. And so it's not totally surprising. I mean, obviously proximity certainly helps, but I would say that, that culturally the quality is, you, are you sort of a neurotic overachiever? There are a lot of neurotic overachievers within the alumni group. And I, I think that, that, that Venn diagram overlaps pretty well with Stanford and with many other elite schools. And what about the relationship between Musk and Teal? I know there's some thoughts, Jimmy, of turning this uh, into a movie. I'm sure if Hollywood gets its hands on it, it will be driven by the relationship or perhaps absence of a relationship between Musk and Teal. I, I think that I don't know where that meme got started, the idea of the absence of a relationship. It, it seems to me to be or rivalry or competitiveness. Or... I didn't see an iota of it. And, and the best evidence you need for that is that, you know, Musk was an attendee at the 20th anniversary PayPal reunion. These two individuals are co-invested with one another. And they've, they've done a number of things together in the aftermath. I, I, I think that the sort of errant quotes from people who aren't in the know speak to something that it's what says more about those people delivering the quotes than about Teal and Musk. You know, Musk blurb Teal's book. I, I just, you sort of see this situation and you're like, you wouldn't do that if there was some simmering, brewing rivalry. There's no, there's no big shadow boxing game going on there. What I would well, say is this. Teal used to be public enemy number one. And now I think he's been outdone by by musk there's certainly uh they're probably I think, I the think two that's... least popular figures uh in silicon valley certainly amongst progressives so, i, I would mean say, maybe I would they're say... coordinating it maybe they're planning to be in a movie a james bond <laughs> movie themselves i mean i think that that is true for someone with a certain perspective i think it's not true for probably 50 percent of the people in silicon yeah, valley yeah no, on the other more. hand the other 50 percent love them they're they're, yeah. they're heroic figures and i would say also they're they're i would i would be careful to paint them with the same. These are very different individuals, right? The one thing I learned doing this project is like part of why it took six years to write this book is, is just each, each person, you know, I hate this sort of sounds a little cliche, a little simple, simplistic, but they are their own people. 
It is why describing the politics is hard. It's why describing their trajectories is hard. They united at PayPal, but they are individuals who work at a company together. They are not sort of like exporters of a particular kind of thinking or, or politics. You couldn't have two people who are more different politically, for example, than Reid Hoffman and Peter Thiel. And yet they worked in the same company together and took the company public together. And, uh, and Thiel and, and, and Hoffman were close friends. I mean, they were undergrads at Stanford. I'm not sure they were that different. They may have been different in personality types, but uh, I Thiel brought Hoffman in, didn't he? He did. He brought him in. And, and it, it is, you know, you have this sort of team of rivals quality that is a part of this story as well. You have a lot of very big personalities, a lot of IQ points in the room. And it is, uh, to, to, your, to your earlier question, it is one of the reasons for its success a team that can warehouse this kind of talent, there's a lot of horsepower. You can do many things when people are like this. Um, yeah, probably I, too much in some ways. You're also the author, in addition to the Claude Shannon book, Lo Rome's Last yeah. Citizen, a book about the legacy of Cato the Younger, who's one of the founders of Stoicism. Is there a Stoicism, as we talked earlier before we went live, has become quite fashionable in Silicon Valley, in particular amongst young men. Is there something stoical perhaps about these this founding team is perhaps your interest in stoicism did it in, in a way lead you to this subject too i don't you know i don't think so i mean maybe maybe you've identified something that i should have picked up on i think that as you well know creating anything but creating a company requires a certain amount of stoicism you will face the sort of slings and arrows of outrageous fortune you know you're going to go through enormous ups sort of enormous downs, uh, you, you need an operating system as it's become called and stoicism happens to be cut to fit many sort of Silicon Valley in some ways. But I don't know that my interest in stoicism led me to there. Uh, what led me to this project is just an interest in books. I mean, I just like writing books, right? And so this is just a great story in the same way that the story of Cato the Younger is a great story. Stoicism, of course, is very much associated with men. Um, when you look at the so-called PayPal mafia, it's it's all men. All the photos seem to be of males trying to be as male as they possibly can. Your book, though, is not just about men. Uh, in the in the blurb from the from the publisher, you specifically mention a couple of women: Amy Rowe Clement and Julie Anderson. I have to admit, I'd never heard of them, and when I looked them up, they didn't seem to me to be particularly consequential women. Uh, Amy Rowe Clement runs a company called imaginable about imagination meets impact which you can find to a penny in silicon valley uh and uh julie ankenbrand i couldn't find out anything about her apart from the fact that um uh that uh that at one point uh musk noted that she was an important figure was this a very male culture or am i being unfair on on clement and and ankenbrand well, I don't want to. I don't want to come to the party and insult the host, but I think you are being unfair. Uh, Captain, Good. Well, I. Yeah. I that's my uh, brand. Yeah, I think, I think. I think. I think. I think. Look. Look at the alumni. The CEO of Ancestry.com, Catherine. She. She. She is a PayPal alumnus. The CEO of Airbnb.org, another PayPal alumnus. What are their you names? Know, uh, Catherine Wu. <laughs> I just, as I just said, um, what I would. What I would say though is is more more to the point. If you read the book, you will find out the contributions that these women made. Julie Anderson, for example, almost single-handedly rescued the broken customer service op operation at PayPal. And it could have tanked the company. We are not talking about a small problem. Like Amy Roe Clement made the product team work. 
and I would just passionately defend their contributions. And it is why I put them on the cover of the book. I think it is like I think one of the journalistic tragedies is that none of these people actually had their stories told. Nobody went and tried to find them. Nobody went and tried to interview them, which is to me like it's like it's horrible. I mean, it's like truly horrible that nobody went back because their stories are just as amazing as anybody else. It just nobody thought to ask. Now, it takes time. It takes patience and it takes some savvy. But the fact is, there were consequential people, men and women in this company, and they were far more than the sort of three or four famous names that we read about, which is part of the ambition of the book. And if I'm impassioned about it, it's because, well, other people damn well should be. But there's a huge problem, as everybody knows, in Silicon Valley of the imbalance between men and women. So does that reflect that, too? I mean, the point of the book is that PayPal shaped Silicon Valley. Uh, the fact that women, as you suggest, were very important, perhaps in making sure the company survived, and yet we don't know their names, and these women didn't go on to become Peter Thiel or Elon Musk or Reid Hoffman or Max Levchin. Does that tell us something about contemporary Silicon Valley? No, I think it tells us something about contemporary media and its blind spots. It's not that hiring at PayPal was biased against women. It's that the media hasn't given appropriate coverage to the story of people like Sarah M. Bach like, like Catherine Rue, like Amy, et cetera. Like if there was better coverage of these people, we would know their stories who, and they deserve to be told. I think the bias is in the coverage, not in the, in, and I, by the way, I think so, there so is. So you're suggesting that Silicon Valley now is, is, is a pretty good no, place when it comes to women? Absolutely not, absolutely not. But I'm saying if you don't, a culture will get what it celebrates. If you don't celebrate the contributions of people you would like to see in these positions, you won't have more of them, right? I became a writer because I saw Indian people living in the United States who did that thing. I looked at Atul Gawande and I was like, man, if somebody who looks like me could do that, maybe I could too, despite my parents' ambitions that I become a doctor. I think that's super important. And I think part of the criticism here, there's a very fair criticism to be made about representation in Silicon Valley. I'm not the person to make that argument because I haven't done the research and the reading about it. But what I can tell you is that in many cases, when I interviewed people at PayPal, whoever they were, they would say to me, hey, you know, no one's ever picked up the phone and called me before. I, why is like, that's a problem. Like somebody, people should be doing more of that. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and of course, the other thing that comes to mind looking at the PayPal mafia and the photos is that they seem young, male and astonishingly white. Um, was there a color problem at uh, PayPal or is that just a, a problem, a broader problem of Silicon Valley? Again, it's the same sort of thing. There's just so many people in the book who are not male, young and white, right? Like there are plenty of people who helped to create the company who aren't those things, but they weren't a part of, look, you, that photo has 13 people. That's less than 0.1% of the company's total like employee roster when it went public. Yeah, they were the senior people and they're the people no, who made they weren't. money and were powerful. No, no, they weren't. There are plenty of people in that photo who were not senior people. And in fact, a lot of people who are on the S1 document when the company went public were not included in that photo, which by the way, is like part of the, it's exactly the problem. And I write about the origin story of that photo because that photo is taken in 2007. The company's created between 1998 and 2002. So tell us a little bit then about uh, the, the the people who we've forgotten uh, in addition to Amy Rowe Clement and- I'll give you, um, I'll give you one, that's, that's a, I'll give you a good one. His name is Sanjay Bhargava. Sanjay, if you, you ever had this experience, you 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 connect your bank to a website, and you've got to enter in like a like a code because the bank the company makes a deposit in your bank account. Like it maybe sends you like two cents and four cents, yeah. and the code is zero two zero four. That idea, random deposit, that came from PayPal, and it came from Sanjay Bargava, an engineer, not not famous, not you know one of these people that's going to host SNL, but 
he is somebody that made this amazing, had this amazing idea that you could sort of have PayPal make two deposits. Like that would be like an ATM code and we could randomize it and we could use it to make sure that if Andrew says that this is his bank account, then it actually is his bank account. And I think that's like, I, when I look at a company, I like, for, I like those stories. I like the stories of those innovations that are actually real unlocks. And that is somebody, Sanjay Bhargava, who was an what, Indian immigrant to the United States uh, and now is back in India. Um, and I, I think his story, again, like I wrote it in the book because I think pe more people should hear about it. So what is ultimately PayPal's legacy? You've, you've given a lot of thought to, to why PayPal was successful. How would you summarize its legacy apart from this confluence, almost coincidental, perhaps in part of of, of enormously consequential, influential, and controversial figures. How would you summarize its significance in the history of Silicon Valley? I think it was this rare moment when many people during that period lost faith in Silicon Valley. And this company survived by the skin of its teeth and under a great deal of pressure. So the people who emerged from this group had this, the following experience. And this has been paraphrased in other places too, that you know they sort of built something. It was very hard. It was done under duress, but they were ultimately successful which is very different than the experience that, you know, a lot of people had at that time. When they emerged, 2002, you know, it's the beginnings of Web 2.0 back then. And so you have these people who have faith in, in the, the power of Silicon Valley. They've built something and seen it be successful, but it hasn't been easy. And they've got just enough resources to start their next ventures. That sliver of history is vitally important. It's what leads to everything else. And that's why I decided to cover it. It's a fascinating story. And final question, Jimmy, perhaps a, a rather unfair one, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, I mean, you, as you say, you've studied the period between 2003. You haven't done a lot of contemporary stuff on what these people have been up to. But um, looking back, you know broadly what's happened since 2003. What, what, what do you think is most surprising for you about the narrative after 2003 for this uh, PayPal for the founders, for the for the group of remarkably talented and influential people who came out of PayPal. What most surprises you, given what you know between 1995, 96, and 2003? I would say I'm surprised they kept, I'm surprised they kept going and making new things. I mean, I'll tell you. Sometimes reading this book would exhaust me because it was it was such a brutal process to build the company. I actually have to admit, it's the first time I've been asked a question like that, but my, my initial answer is I'm astonished that not every one of these people just hung it up and decided they were done. It was so hard. It took so much out of them. It cost all kinds, you know, it left sort of all kinds of, of weight, presumably, in their minds. And so many of them went and did it again. Like, I, I just, I don't know that I would have that in It's me, a drug, right? Jimmy. Once you do it once. <laughs> <laughs> Can't give it up, right? That's fair. That's how I describe books. So I, perhaps I uh, perhaps I share that quality with them. 